Hello, Writers Panel listeners. This is Brett, the producer, checking in again to let you know a very important announcement, which is that Ben will be at the world-famous San Diego Comic-Con, taking place July 19th to the 22nd. He is making a bunch of appearances related to his new Vertigo Comics book, Hexwives. You know, the one he won't stop talking about, right? First, on Thursday, from 2 to 3 p.m., Blacker and his writing partner, Ben Acker, will be signing anything. It says anything. You bring them at the Boom Studios booth number 2229. And just between us, please stop by. It's embarrassing for Ben if you don't. Then, on Friday, July 20th, from 5 to 6 p.m., Ben is putting on a pop culture witches panel. In an age where powerful women are finally being celebrated, it's worth looking at the pop culture witches, enchantresses, genies, charmers, and sorceresses who conjured the craft in our popular imaginations in the past. How have women with superpowers been portrayed, and how is that portrayal evolving? Panelists include Nell Scoville, creator of the Sabrina the Teenage Witch TV show from the 90s, Jessica O'Toole and Amy Rardin, the creators and showrunners of the CW's Charmed reboot, Ruth Connell, who has played the witch Rowena on many episodes of Supernatural, and Juliana Crouch, who is an actual practicing witch. That is an amazing lineup, and by doing just a small amount of internet research, I was able to find that that panel is taking place in room 23ABC. Directly after that, Ben will run over to the Vertigo Comics panel, and you should too, although you won't have to run far because it's also taking place in room 23ABC per the internet. He'll be there with his Hexwives artist, Mirka Andolfo, as well as a bunch of other creators of the new Vertigo line, including video game developer and programmer Zoe Quinn, Nine Inch Nails art director Rob Sheridan, and lots more. You'll see previews of the new books, which launch in September, and it should be a really interesting conversation. Finally, on Sunday at 10 a.m., Ben is part of the How to Be a Nerd for a Living panel, very essential information, talking about what it takes to create a path to the career you want in comics, TV, podcasting, animation, gaming, and more. The other panelists include Travis McElroy of the Adventure Zone podcast and the My Brother, My Brother and Me podcast, very nice guy, Susan Eisenberg, the voice of Wonder Woman in a lot of the DC animated movies and shows, amazing, and Tommy Adeyemi, author of Children of Blood and Bone, and more. So follow Ben on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, for all the latest updates on his appearances at San Diego Comic-Con, and check the SDCC website and app for where these panels are happening. All right, on with the show. Forever Dog. Today's episode is a really great one. Um, in fact, it was bumped up in the rotation because I feel like it's such a uh, an important and, and interesting and sort of heartfelt conversation. Uh, the guests are unbelievable writers. Uh, Shernold Edwards, who is working on a current uh, CBS series called Redline, which will be out next year. She also worked on Anne with an E, uh, the Anne of Green Gables show. Uh, she, When I booked Shernold, she said, I know who you have to have on this with me. My friend, Vera Santamaria, who is, we're so funny together, and they are so funny together. They're absolutely charming. And Vera is a writer for Orange is the New Black, BoJack Horseman, a whole bunch of shows. Uh, both Shernold and Vera uh, worked for a while in Canada before coming to Los Angeles to work in American TV uh, less than 10 years ago. And then we're rounded out by Christine Boylan, who's a terrific writer, been working again for 
a number of years. She's got all the nerd cred uh, from The Punisher and Cloak and Dagger most recently. She's writing the uh, feature script for Painkiller Jane, which I know a lot of people are excited about. And she talks about it a little bit. It sounds really cool. Um, so I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Before any of that, I've teased for the past six months that I have some projects to announce, and I'm excited to finally get to announce one of them. It's called Hexwives. It's a new comic book from Vertigo Comics. Vertigo, of course, was the home 25 years ago of Sandman and Preacher and Fables and like these great creator-owned books that, for many of us, uh, were inspirational and aspirational. Like these were big stories being told in the comic book format, which is a unique storytelling mode. Um, and I'm finding that more and more with Hexwives. So here's what's happening. Um, Hexwives is, the pitch is, what if Samantha Stevens from Bewitched uh, were not a suburban housewife by choice? Uh, she has all of this power and she's here cooking dinner and cleaning for her husband. Uh, so what happens when she starts to realize that that is not who she is? In fact, she's a uh, sort of immortal witch, part of a, the head of a powerful coven, who are her neighbors, um, and who are all sort of starting to wake up and realize that indeed, they're stronger together. Uh, that's the pitch and vertigo has been so amazing in their support of this book they are an absolute pleasure to work with hexwives is part of a big relaunch of vertigo comics uh, which will all be happening in the fall but we'll be talking about it at comic-con and we'll start to leak stuff out in the next few months um, and this relaunch is really cool and exciting uh, they have seven new books they're all these really smart high concept books uh, from writers like Eric Esquivel and Brian Hill and Zoe Quinn, um, who, you know, the like the famous gamer, and um, Rob Sheridan, who is the art director for Nine Inch Nails, um, Tina Horn, who is the host and producer of Why Are People Into That podcast. Uh, it's a sex advice podcast. Uh, she's a sex activist and educator. So it's all a bunch of, like, really interesting people with strong points of view with things to say and i'm lucky just to be part of this hanging on for dear life and hoping they don't realize that i'm just a television hack they're all really smart and contemporary feeling books they're all they all feel like books that the creators of them were compelled to write um go to vertigocomics.com check out the descriptions of these books because they're all really cool on hexwives uh it was important to me to be, if not the only male voice sort of in the minority. This is a book about women, and this is a book about powerful women. And it was important to me to not only get that right, but, you know, to have input that is not just my own ideas. And in fact, I got really lucky uh, in that when I told this to Vertigo, they were more than amenable. Uh, I wound up with these really amazing editors, Molly Mahan and Maggie Howell, who are uh, everything good in the book comes from them. Like, I'm going to be saying this for the next year and a half about how all of my collaborators are making this book great, but it's really true. And I'm not being humble about this. I actually feel bad about it. I wish I had more great ideas in the book, uh, but I came up with the premise, so I have to write it. Um, but Molly and Maggie have been instrumental in get, making this right, getting this right, uh, making this a book that feels emotionally true and honest. 
part of the book is about the insidious ways in which men control women. And so the other key collaborator of there, of which there are many uh, on this book has been my wife where, uh, you know, she's been with me on this journey and I wander into the room. And I'm like, hey, tell me, tell me the terrible ways I try to control you. Uh, and she tells me and I learn something both for the book and for my life. Um, the artist on the book is Mirka Andalfo, who is this incredible Italian artist. She worked on Shade the Changing Man, uh, the annual. That's out there. You should check it out. She worked on the DC Bombshells books, and she hasn't done a regular book like this um, yet in her career. And I think this is going to be a huge coming out for her. Uh, she's just knocking it out of the park. And the colorist, Marissa Louise, I cannot say enough good things about. Um, as good as... Mirka is, and as okay as I am, Marissa is just elevating every single thing with her colors. She's adding texture and shading to this book, which, you know, could have been a blunt instrument, and she's giving it a lot of depth and a lot of soul. Uh, I'm excited for you to see her work on this book. Uh, I also have to say, this is terrifying for me. This is the first writing I've done, the first professional writing I've done without my writing partner, Ben Acker, in 15 years. And uh, Ben, when I came to him with this and said, do you want to do this? He said, I'm glad to, but it seems like you got it. So if you want me on it, I'm fine. If not, try it. Uh, So I have to thank him for that. And uh, at one point, he checked in with me on the book and said, how's it going? And I said, it's really hard and he said, well, sure, it should be two times as hard. And that is not the case. It is 100 times as hard. Uh, you know, not having been there, again, we've been working together for 15 years. He has the answers. He is a guy with amazing ideas. And my job with him is just to pick out the good one. On this book, I have to come up with the good ideas. Uh, so I'm lucky to have the collaborators that I have to help me through that process. Um, the book will be out in October. Uh, I'm going to talk about it incessantly. It is about witches. Uh, I'm obsessed with pop culture witches. Bewitched was one of my favorite television shows growing up, not just because I had a huge crush on Elizabeth Montgomery. Uh, But Andorra is a great character. Um, But pop culture witches are so interesting to me because they... There are no, like, there are set tropes for a witch, but we don't, it's not like Frankenstein, right? There's no one story. And so every witch story sort of adds to the tropes of that, Um, whether it's the witches of Eastwick or Wizard of Oz or Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Like, every take on witches plays with the existing tropes and adds something new to it. So, one, I'll be doing a panel at San Diego Comic-Con called Pop Culture Witches, and I'll tell you more about that as we get closer to it. Two, on this podcast, I'm going to start interviewing people involved with Pop Culture Witches. Um, I love to hear about how people approach the witch character, witch tropes, witch stories. Uh, So I'm going to be tracking down people who have worked in that uh, area and just doing short interviews with them. I hope it's interesting to you. It's certainly interesting to me. I've been lucky that you've indulged me this long uh, on the Writers Panel podcast. But I'll say this. If you love a pop culture witch, if you have someone that you think I should talk to about pop culture witches, um, if you are a practicing Wiccan, hit me up. Uh, I'm fascinated to talk to you. Uh, find me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, 
It's like the color, only more so. Or find the, uh, write me on Facebook, facebook.com slash TV writers panel. Uh, and tell me who I should talk to. What are the pop culture witches that you love? Um, what do you think about witch tropes? And if you are an artist, and I know we haven't put out any images yet, I want to see what you think this book is going to be. Uh, put out some Hexwives fan art. Uh, I'd really like to get sort of underrepresented or unknown artists involved in this book, and fan art is a great way to get noticed. Um, look, I have a hundred issues of Hexwives stories that I want to tell. I'm counting on you guys to buy the book so that I get to tell those stories. But um, please know that it, it really is a, a story I'm passionate about telling, and I hope you'll get on, involved with it. Again, you'll be hearing more about it for the next eight months. <laughs> Sorry. Here's today's podcast. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! I have a question for you, ladies. Hmm? Have you seen the Hannah Gadsby special yet? No. I no. keep hearing about it. Where? What? Oh, Tell my me. God. I've been Hannah, off Twitter. What's going on? Hannah Gadsby is uh, from Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And then she spent a lot of time in Australia. She's a queer comic. Um, and her special, which came out about a week ago, I think, is one of the most extraordinary. I just keep hearing good things yeah. about it. Extraordinary it's things. She, <clears throat> it unlocked a rage oh, that I knew yeah. I was feeling, but she put words to it. Yeah. But it's also, it's one of these, it's really, it's going to sound real pretentious, but it's a loving rage. That doesn't sound pretentious, but sounds necessary. (laughs) So I, and then, so that happened. And before that, um, there was a thing that came out that I'm sure you all saw about Me Too, hashtag Me Too, being blamed for a lot of white dudes not getting jobs. And uh, so these two things have uh, politicized me very, very little, the little, but on Twitter. And uh, so there's that and, and how it ties into, for all these years, diversity and now inclusivity has been blamed for white dudes not getting jobs. And then in conjunction with seeing Hannah Gadsby and how she's quitting comedy because she's no longer going to downplay her experience by making it funny. It's not funny what's happened to her. She was assaulted. She was attacked. She was abused. And she can make it funny, but that doesn't help. Right. And it doesn't help her as a person. Um, so that's kind of what I was wondering if you guys were interested in. I'm feeling rage. I'm I mean, ready for you rage should talk too. about it. Yeah. I, I will. Let's get in. I think and... you just did. Yeah. Are we recording? <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you get that? Okay, listen. <laughs> we're going to get real deep real fast. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We're going to open with that. Know, Let's you do know, it. People um, don't listen for very long and, you know, just don't want them to get bored and also <laughs> nobody really ever wants to hear me say anything so when what? I have a chance <laughs> come on like to... let's talk about all of these things okay, right now yeah, let, let, let me go. have you introduce yourselves and we're going to pick up right there Charlotte, right. introduce yourself on the microphone please uh, tell folks where they may have seen your name on television my name is Charlotte Edwards I uh, see would have seen my name on a show called Haven for sci-fi uh, a little while back um, you have seen my name on a thing called Sleepy Hollow and uh, 
you would have seen my name on another really challenging show that was amazing to work on, Hand of God. Mm-hmm. And what's coming out next is season two of Anne with an E, which is uh, a really amazing take on Anne of Green Gables. And right now I'm working on a show called The Red Line at CBS. And it's one, it is something that nobody ever, ever, ever thought that CBS would order. Yeah. Mm. Ever. Mm. Because it's got all the feelings, <laughs> all the politicals, all the queerness, all the blackness, all the, all, all the good stuff. <laughs> so we're just kind of ducking in doing what we're doing and yeah. hoping that they won't notice too much or that they will notice and say, yes, this is what we want more of. Right. Well, it seems like, and and you touched on this a moment ago, this is the moment, right? You mm-hmm. can get this stuff on the air. People are hungry for it. Yeah. We'll pick up in a second. Uh, Vera, please introduce yourself on the microphone. My name is Vera Santamaria. I am a writer on Orange is the New Black. I was new to season six, and now I'm working on season seven. And before that, I worked on BoJack Horseman for a bunch of seasons and Community and a bunch of other NBC half-hour comedies. Um, and that is after my Canadian career. So I moved here in um, 2010. Mm-hmm. So. And we'll talk about both of your You know Canadian what you need to mention, though, right? You know what you're just, like, playing coy about? <laughs> Drake? That it's Canada Day? <laughs> <laughs> the answer to all questions is Drake. Yeah. <laughs> you, you worked on Degrassi TNG. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Amazing. See? Why are you burying your light? LA loves it. Let it be. They do love it. It's great. I love it. People freak out about that credit, right? That's so funny. Uh, Christine, please introduce yourself. Hi, uh, I'm Christine Boylan. I have worked on uh, a bunch of things. Castle, Once Upon a Time, Leverage was where I started. Uh, Off the Map, which not a lot of people saw, but was super fun. Um, Recently working for Marvel. I did Constantine on the other side. Uh, DC. And uh, I did Punisher two seasons. We're shooting season two right now. And uh, Cloak and Dagger, which is mm-hmm. airing right now on Freeform. Yeah, that's a lot of that's stuff. That's a lot of fun. Damn, and on the internet. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Your nerd cred is intact. This is why I like, almost showed up late, because hiatus brain. We could talk. <laughs> sure. it's, it's like not as important a topic, but hiatus brain is a real thing. And it started to kick in, and I was like, wait, what day is it? Oh, my God. That's what happened this morning. It's fair. We're glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right, let's pick up, uh, Sharnold, what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a conversation that anytime you have more than two writers together has come up in the past couple of years. Um, I guess my my first question and sort of the baby step in is, why is it only the past couple of years? Why is this not, why has the conversation not been happening en masse, you know, for decades? Here's a theory that I just formed in my head right now. And I think it's the, um, it's the Obama 45 contrast. Um, you know what? That's the first time that I've even referred to that person publicly ever because my green card could be revoked at any second mm. and I still have to talk today. Um, so I think, you know, even as a Canadian, I can't say even as a Canadian because it was global, but watching Obama get inaugurated was I can't even describe it. And it was also the first time that I'd come down here. It was the first time that I had decided to not pay my taxes and take all my money and try to get myself into the U.S. 
television industry. Um, And I think that Obama winning gave us all such hope, you know, and gave us all such misty eye, like loving misty eyes that a lot of people thought, okay, we're okay now. Mm -hmm. It's only going to get better from here. And it didn't. There was a huge backlash. And uh, what happened happened. And now there's this, it's a seeming, sometimes I think it's like, this is just bubbled up out of nowhere, but it didn't, it didn't bubble up out of nowhere. But what it did was energize the people who do the bad things. And they slipped for a second and a black dude got into power. And then they were like, hold the phone. The fuck just happened? We must hold on screeching by our nails until they're down to the quick. Unless some of us get up there and just pull their fucking asses down and just throw them off the cliff because they don't need to be there anymore. So I think it's, you know, in the last couple of years, the the power has shifted in this country and it's become really, really scary. And now white people are afraid of the things that us people of color have always been afraid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I guess well my... Put. Yeah. Yeah. My my question surrounding that is what can we as writers do? Right? We know how to we have a certain set of skills. Mm-hmm. Right. We know how to do certain things. And maybe some of us have money and you can give to things and you can march and like those are all great. But I think the conversations that are happening happening around, you know, different voices in a writer's room are part of the answer to how can we do something? How can we change something? What's within our control? I mean, this is not, I don't know what kind of answer this is going to be, but I just turned in a feature. And in writing it, of course, naturally, I waited until the last minute to write that first draft. So it was a week of hard writing. And it was that rage that we were talking about. Literally, the only thing getting me out of bed was how angry I was every day or am or whatever. And all these things found their way into the feature, which has some vigilante elements in it. You know, I mean, we're all nerds. It's a nerdy script. Um, So, of course, it's a vigilante story. But I hand the thing in. I start to get notes. And the notes I'm getting, I'm I'm now petrified that I've I've handed in and they're going to be like, take out the, the, the reference to this. Take out the refugee thing. Take this thing out. Take that thing out. All of it was, hey, can that this set piece be bigger? Hey, can we have more? Blo-? It was all like, like I didn't even know what wow. to say from you know these producers. They were giving me nuts and bolts notes. Huh. I was like, no, no, yeah, you know, all this, the women's perspective and this and that, and the, that's kind of why we hired you. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> <Yeah>, cool. <laughs> so that I mean, it's just something like I wrote that. I turned it in thinking all of this stuff that I put in is going to come out, and it hasn't so far. It's a feature. You know, (laughs) I have no control. Three writers from now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But all I could think of in the moment was, okay, I have control over this scene that's in front of me on paper with a pen right now. That's it. Yeah, I I had a conversation recently with a writer friend who was just doing a monster TV show. And he said, here's what it's really about. (laughs) And it feels like you can't write something that's not about something anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Has this been your experience? Yeah, it's interesting. Um... It's as a person who's usually on a staff, I feel like I have control over the script at the stage I'm at. But then, you know, it it travels up. You have your showrunner. They do their rewrite. But more and more, I'm finding that if I can be authentic in that first draft and then when they get it, 
I find there's a really, there is actually kind of a nice culture in the rooms I've been lucky enough to be in where there might be a gap in like, well, why did you choose this? Or what is that detail? Is that true? Do you know someone like that? And when you can kind of say, oh yeah, this is from this and this is why I did it like this. They're like, oh, okay. I just didn't know that part. And I think it's taken a while for me to be able to like advocate for my own ideas with the clarity that you need to have in order for your idea to move ahead. Hmm. But then as with that question, I also think the biggest thing I do is as someone who's now like an upper level writer, I do try to manage the culture in the room as a means of getting in different ideas into the script. Because I think even in the eight years I've been here, the culture of the rooms I've been in have changed. So it used to be, I think, a much more bullying culture. And now the thing I try to do is make sure that you're not snipering other people's ideas. Because when you shoot down that bad first idea, you're not going to get that good sixth idea. Mm -hmm. So that person won't speak up if we have that culture in the room. And, and that's the biggest thing I try to do now is protect kind of all writers and just make the culture a little less dickish because it's like, I don't want to work in that and I don't have to anymore. So that's the thing I do and hope that like seeps into the script, the ideas. And for someone to be like, well, that's actually not true. That's not a a name that's in that culture or whatever. And I think that's kind of my tactic to it. That's interesting. I'd love to hear. I mean, you all of you have sort of been around in these rooms for the past eight, 10 years. I'm curious to hear about how room dynamics have changed. And of course, every room is going to be different, mm -hmm. but you get sort of uh, cultural sweeps across the industry. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that, please. Anyone who wants to I mean, in. two two things come to mind, and I don't know if this is the experience that you guys have had as well. These conversations used to happen in the ladies' room mm -hmm. or in somebody's office with the door closed. Yeah. That one female upper level that you trusted, yeah. you'd go into her office, they would close the door, and you guys would sit and you would hash it out and be like, okay, did this idea get knocked back 18 times? You've been here two seasons longer than I have. Uh, have I been rebreaking this story for four days because, uh, you know, the, the showrunner hates, I don't know what it was about, Mounties. He hates Mounties. <laughs> I love Mounties, whatever, you know, <laughs> but, or because, you know, whatever. Or is it because I, is it because I'm a woman? Is he what, like, what's his deal? And that upper level female is like the wise person who is going yeah. to tell you, okay, it's not you, it's this, or it is you, or here's what you should, you know, hopefully, right? The second thing is, Watching, I mean, now those conversations that used to be closed door, I think, are are in the room mm -hmm. in yeah. front of everybody. I think they just come out now. Second thing is watching drama and genre rooms discover the concept of yes and is <laughs> huge, huge. And I like, I love comedy people. I'm around them a lot. I didn't understand this until I like read Tina Fey's book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I came into the room. I think it was Constantine one day, and I was like, okay, well. I was running the room that day and everyone was in there. The assistants, the support staff, everybody had a shot that day. And I was like, okay, well, yes. And even if it was a, an idea that off the top, i my judgy ass would have been like, no, that we're, ne we're never going to do that. That's not going to, you know, not gonna play with NBC or I don't like it or whatever. Yes. And follow it all the way to the end. Take 10, what's going to take 10 minutes mm -hmm. to follow that idea to its natural conclusion yeah. where they will realize it blows up or it naturally is going to peter out or someone will get an idea and you'll get to that sixth version of it. That's like, Oh wait, that's cool. There was like a, the throwaway element in your pitch that started out terrible, turned out to be the best thing mm -hmm. ever. 
So yes, and I think in drama and genre rooms is yeah. so good. And it's good for whoever's there, upper, lower level, everybody. Just hear the other person out no matter what level they're at. Yeah. I mean, that's similar to what you were saying. Yeah. yeah. It's like, don't shut things down immediately, which is, you know, the thing we've been hearing for 10 years right. on, on this of how to have a healthy room. Yeah. Um, Chernold, what's been your experience from sort of your first Hollywood rooms mm -hmm. uh, to now? So I started on Haven here mm. on uh, on the side of the border, and that was a family, you know, and I'm still in touch with all the people there. We get together still. Um, the show ended in uh, what 2015, maybe 20. Mm -hmm. um, that was a family. Mm. But the show was troubled for many reasons. Um, among those, the creators weren't still with us. Um, you know, there's that that thing that happens between creators and networks and studios and uh, where nobody could seem to agree on, on what the show is and then creators get ousted in ugly ways and uh, things like that. So um, the show was troubled. Mm -hmm. Then I moved on to Sleepy Hollow where everything was troubled. And, and you were in the later seasons. Is I was that in right? season three. Okay. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I, how long did the show run? Like the five show or went to season four. Okay. Uh, I was there for the most for most of season three, uh, and that was the singular most ex unpleasant experience. Really, I've had, and I haven't talked about it for a long time because I didn't want to be seen as someone who tells mm -hmm. tales. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to be seen as someone who's really racially sensitive. Um, or, or as a woman, very sensitive to the way I've been treating, uh, way to the way I, I was treated, mm -hmm. rather, and uh, and I just didn't want to say anything because I thought I shouldn't. But who am I protecting? I'm certainly not protecting other people coming into the industry who are going to meet people like the ones that I've worked with. I'm not going to name names. If you're curious, you can always IMDb. Um, <laughs> I will say though that everybody at a producer level and under fantastic people. And that's, I'm going to stop there. Mm -hmm. But um, what I'm curious to hear about that experience is not necessarily, you know, the dirt of it, but mm -hmm. what did you learn and what can you tell people who might find themselves yeah, in that experience? I will say that, you know, if you talk to screenwriters, who have had more than four gigs. Um, this may be half and half bad experience, good experience. Mm -hmm. Um, some people have been exceptionally lucky and some people have been extremely unfortunate. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a scale to that and there's too. A, there's a scale right. to that. Um, all of that shit comes from the top down. Yeah. All of it comes from the totally. top down. So, you know, if I take a, a sort of a, a bigger view of what you two women were saying about what can be done on the individual writer level, there's all of those things that we can do, but your hands are tied at a lower level. Um, and until you get to a point where, where Vera is, where you take ownership of your, okay. So for people who are coming in, you don't feel like you have power and you're made to feel like mm. you don't have power. Mm -hmm. And these situations are emotionally damaging because the people at the top in those situations don't give a fuck who you are or what else is going on in the world. A lot of times they were forced to hire someone who looks like you and they resent you from the time your script comes across their desk. So the things that people can do as writers, and I'm talking to you white dudes who run the majority of the rooms in spite of what hashtag me too says, um, 
you all are key. You guys are key. And some of you guys are really, really cool. And you can tell who's not cool. And if you can't tell who's not cool, then talk to people who have worked with those people and listen to them when they tell you that they're not cool. And then go to them and say, hey, yo, you're not cool. (laughs) The fuck are you doing? You're giving us all a bad name. When they get in charge, we'll be the first up against the wall. To quote Tom York. Right. So fix your shit. (laughs) Even if you're not a good human being, it is good business to fix your shit. Yeah. Because this is not going to last. As much as people are holding on by their fingernails and we're ripping children away from their families at the border and and abortion rights are under attack and and nobody seems to tell the truth in that certain part of the country where people have all the power. It's not going to last. So fix your fucking shit. And think about stories that are beyond you and think about why they're important. Mm. And if you can't think about that, then go sit in your fucking sports car (laughs) and wait until you have something to say or champion somebody who has something to say. You don't always have to be in charge. You already make all the money, all the money. (laughs) So what are you losing? Some of the money, not even, because you're still going to make all the money, even if you're not in charge. So it's up to you. And there's a lot Mm. of this, like, you know, we're dealing with this on the show that I'm doing right now um, in terms of, you know, who should be the face of these struggles? Hmm. And, you know, should like, Mm. should a white guy be the face of these Mm. things that Mm -hmm. that really tear at the heart of people of color in this country and tear at the heart of women and tear at the heart of trans people. Should you, should they be the face? Fuck yes. They should be the face. Cause don't nobody listen to anybody else. Mm, Interesting. Nobody listens to anybody else. But if they're questioning the fact Mm -hmm. that maybe they shouldn't be the face, you're a good fucking dude. Mm. Say something, (laughs) say something to everybody. Because it starts at the top down. And it's not even just the showrunners. I'm talking about the broadcasters. There's my Canadian coming out. I'm talking about the <laughs> networks. Okay? I'm talking about the studios. Well, the number two. The person Everybody. who's hands on in the room. Everybody. But this is, uh, and let me interrupt just for a second. I mean, as a young writer coming into a situation like this, first of all, you know, there is the the sort of uh, writing advice that I think we've all gotten, which is no villain thinks he's the villain. Exactly. Right. 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 So... How does a young writer broach that conversation, whether it's with the number two, whether it's with someone else? I mean, confronting your boss directly is a terrifying thing. Right. What, so what, is, what does a new writer do? I mean, two, a couple of things. One, when you go to the showrunner training program, let me demystify the showrunner training program <laughs> at the WGA, which is a delightful many Saturdays uh, that you spend mm-hmm. learning from different people who come in and talk to you. One of the first things they do is make you read this book called Difficult Conversations, mm. which is actually, it's a great book. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is about, <clears throat> the book is about having direct confrontation for people who may shy away from that. And what I'm thinking about when I'm, when I'm listening to you go through this list, I'm like, oh, these people are so afraid of direct confrontation. Everyone you're calling out and are right to do so. None, these mm-hmm. people are so afraid mm-hmm. to have a direct, I mean, we all are, but when it's life or death, or when it's, and you know, stories to us are life or death, that's what we do. It's important to 
put your ass on the line and have that difficult conversation or directly confront somebody. But most people are afraid to do that. Now, trying to train it out of you is good. Like trying to have that culture in the room where people aren't afraid to say a thing from their experience or have an argument, but you know, at the end of the day, no one's going to leave mad. No one's going to get too, per you're going to get personal, but like you try to, I mean, we've kind of went through this on Cloak and Dagger. Mm -hmm. Joe Pekaski is a showrunner and he is a, you know, a white man from Boston. Uh, the room None was, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> you guys are great. I'm from New York, so, you know. But the room was made up of people from with different experience. We had, you know, di just different backgrounds, different yeah. races, obviously male and female. Um, they were representative of the two main characters on the show. And from, you know, from different sort of walks of socioeconomic walks of life. The biggest conversations we got into were less about race and more about like socioeconomic mm -hmm. backgrounds because our two characters deal with that. We never had to make the show political because the characters, who they are, is political. Mm. You know, um, Tandy starts out as a, as a thief, essentially. She's a, she's a low-grade con woman. And she's a white girl who lives in a trailer and an abandoned church sometimes. Uh, and Tyrone is a sort of upper-middle-class, politically active family whose brother was gunned down by a cop. And it, it, that's the premise. That's mm -hmm. it. We didn't have to do anything. But we got into it every day in the room. It was a hard room. We were in a basement as well. Hey, Marvel. <laughs> I love you guys. Uh, we were in a basement, so everything was fraught. It was sure. like we were locked in this room to hash out relations in America. Um, but, and we had people from the South talking about how if you're, if you're from the North, it's, you don't understand New Orleans. Okay, but if you're from you know, a, a, a Latino family in Brooklyn who practiced Santeria, how is that different from being from a family, a Catholic family, in the South who practices Voodoo, okay, let's hash it out. Mm -hmm. So it, that stuff was cool. Mm -hmm. it, we were lucky to have that kind yeah. of a room. Well, there is something to, you know, finding those universalities in the specific, right? I mean, this is where the good stuff comes from. Um, Vera, I wanted to mention, you worked on this Canadian show, Little Mosque on the I Prairie. Did, yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, which, you know, was called controversial, but it's Here really, it was? well, I think just sort of in general it oh, was when in fact it is the least controversial show I can think of. Yeah. And it seems to me it was just, by, it was a Muslim family. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. It's interesting because in Canada, I don't remember it being called controversial, but I do have a vague memory of people here being like, yeah. it was like to something they'd never seen, which is fascinating. Right. And yeah. just by dint of the family being yeah. quote unquote other. Yes. Right. Um, and and uh, you also have the show How to Be Indie, Indie yeah, um, which again, like you're dealing with a non-white mm -hmm. uh, protagonist. Yeah, it was based on my family, so yeah. Uh, which you know, is there is that a hard thing to push through? Is that a hard thing to either push through in the selling stage? Is it a hard thing to sort of rally your writers around? Is it a hard thing to get an audience on board from for? Um. Definitely. Like I'm speaking from my, at the time in Canada, I, it wasn't a hard thing to get on air. It was actually very easy because I think that there's a natural curiosity. I think the beautiful thing that TV can do is bridge a gap, you know, let you into a world that you just wouldn't have access to. And, and by having writers behind the scene who are of different backgrounds, you really can get that authentic experience. Uh, my experience here, I think, 
has been a little different because there those shows were on the air. And here sometimes it feels like some of these shows are developed and for some reason they don't cross that barrier into being made into pilots, into getting on the air. And certainly like with every year, it feels like it's creeping a little bit forward. But I do think there is a different culture here in the U.S. in terms of like you can maybe have a uh, a white protagonist and you can have like a side character who's a minority, but make shifting to being like, oh, well, my story deserves to be at the forefront. I st still think that we haven't quite cross that barrier enough across other like people other people who are other mm -hmm. you know so i think i think there is it's it's harder here <laughs> yeah have you all found yourselves in the position in rooms especially i would imagine early on where you have to be the voice of your people of x per person i mean I, I like i pitched the gay character on every show I've ever been on <laughs> just and he's gay and they're like is he I'm like yeah he's totally yes <laughs> yes and it doesn't come up until we just notice it and it, but it's cool <laughs> like right. you know you just do you just you get comfortable in a room like the first the first room I was in leverage <clears throat> John Rogers I mean that show was about sticking it to the man mm -hmm. in an era where we, you know it, John was very keyed into the sort of financial yeah. ins and outs of things and the horrors that were to come in a way that is shockingly prescient. Um, John's a very cool guy. He, another dude, you know, from Boston, but married to a Canadian. Uh, so, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we spent, a, he empowered his staff writers. So from my first job, I felt very comfortable just being in the room, like, here's an insane pitch. Mm -hmm. We're going to do this. We're going to do it there. And then if it doesn't get made, it doesn't get made. But I was able to just speak freely in the room uh, all the staff writers felt they were able That's to, great. and we were we produced our own episodes from jump, which I think is something yeah. that is not talked about. But throwing your baby writers onto set and watching them sink or swim, you know, unless there's like a toxic, you know, you try to try to protect right. them from toxic elements if they're on set, but like they also have to learn that there's going to be toxic elements everywhere, and and you know, we we sort of learned it was a good set, it was a good room, yeah. but. And getting um, to do that is an amazing crash Getting course. to do that is amazing. And so I came out of that job like, I can pitch anything. No, not true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not necessarily true. And and that's the thing. Like we were, um, one of you said, like, if you're, uh, if you've been here for a number of years, if you've done a number of rooms, you know, you got to get quit. You got to quit once. You got to get fired once at least. Um, and you got to go through these different configurations of I'm allowed to speak up here or, oh, no, this is, we're just going to listen to this person talk for an hour and and that's that's church and we write it down and then we'll talk yeah. about it in the bathroom later like it you know yeah. every room is different and i don't mind like being the i don't mind being the compass for the things i know in the room so if they're saying something and i but luckily i know a lot about a lot of things so if there's anything that is like no i know a little about a lot of things <laughs> let's correct myself but if it's if there's something where i feel like Actually, in my experience, it's been different. This is what I've seen firsthand. I want to be in a room. You're finding that balance between like, you don't want to be cultural police, but you do want to represent the things you yeah. know and whatever that may be. Um, so I try to really find that balance. Luckily, like I've been on the shows I've been here, I, I haven't felt like I checked. Um, I wasn't brought on because there was a specific character. Not always, you know, and that feels good, too. But yeah, I do try to be find that between like compass and police just be like, yeah. cause I think that's the thing. Like we, 
we want our shows to be like represent something authentic. So therefore the people of the experience, whatever that is, do have to speak up if they want it to be true. Like that's the beauty of it. So I try not to deny that too much. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to the people who don't feel empowered Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, Because when I was, when I was on Sleepy Hollow, I did not feel empowered to do that. And from the moment I had my first meeting, I knew I was being brought on as the black girl to deal with the black girl. Oh, interesting. Yes. Uh, and then things on Sleepy Hollow were exceptionally toxic on, on many different levels. It was really quite extraordinary. Um, so very soon I was prevented from communicating with the black girl. So then I was just a black girl in the room with nothing to do. Uh, and that was very difficult, I'll say, um, to say the least. And I did not have any confidence. Um, and I did not feel safe to be the barometer of everything, of anything rather. And there was a moment where I sat at the table while two white dudes, maybe three, I don't know. Sometimes you lose count. They just multiply. <laughs> oh, it might've been two white dudes and an Asian dude. I don't know. Listen, I have one. I, some of my best husbands are white. <laughs> but I have thoughts. So I was sitting at the table, let's call it between two white dudes standing over me, having a conversation about our black lead and her natural hair. And whether or not it should be natural or how, what it is or whatever. And I just watched them like it was a bloody tennis game. And then, yeah, there was a third white dude. He was a staff writer and he was sitting across from me and he was like, don't you even, should you, should I? And I was like, no, no. Because if I had balls, I would have felt emasculated. Um, And I didn't say anything. And ultimately I had to leave, which was, I think, my single most... Uh, my single strongest thing that I did. Yeah. So we should pause there for a sec because that's a hard thing to do. The quick like thing. When you yeah. are early in your career, mm-hmm. uh, getting out of that kind of saying no mm-hmm. to anything mm-hmm. yeah. is really, really hard and really bold. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't quit and go into the great beyond. Um, mm-hmm. There was another show that came up, uh, Hand that's of right. God came up and the timing just worked. The timing mm-hmm. of everything worked. The timing of mm-hmm. Hand of God starting. The timing of things that happened on Sleepy Hollow that I felt like I just couldn't be there anymore. Um, if there was no other job, I can't lie. You know, I have bills. I would have roughed it out. Yeah. But because I had a choice, I decided not to. Um, so I want people who are listening, who are in rooms, who feel like they don't have the power to say anything, just rough it out. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, you're not weak. There's not, you know, you just have to rough it out until you get to the point where you are safe enough and you will get enough credit. You will have enough jobs to be able to pick and choose or at least do some research into who it is that you're going to be working for and you can decide. And, and then once you get to the level where you feel like you've you've got the confidence and the way to do it that's all that's the other thing is the way to do it Mm -hmm. so thankfully um my mother is trinidadian she's caribbean and she is charming just ridiculously adorable insanely charming ridiculous so i have picked up from her 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 white dude whispering skills she had very very difficult bosses working in a factory 
for 30 years and I watched her navigate and I listened to the stories and I was like, aha, if you have a dimple and a smile, it It might go smoother. If you throw in a Trinidadian accent, even though you weren't born there, it goes a little bit smoother. Interesting. So whatever skills you have, you know, and again, that's where diversity is important. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can't claim it if you don't have it, but you know, there's something in there that will help you. And until you get to that point, just rough it out and have your friends close to you and don't feel like mm-hmm. you're not because you are doing something. You're growing. You're sticking with it. So and soon you will have the voice. Yeah. Endurance is a thing. And look, if you're in that situation, write your novel in your head, work on your play, work on your pilot, go home at night and write down what you what you broke in your head all day while right. they were breaking something and not including you because we've all been there. Right. Do something for yourself, even if it's a poem, even if it's five lines of I am a pentameter to calm yourself down because you're having a panic attack, whatever it is, do some writing for yourself so that writing doesn't become toxic. Yeah. Don't let a That's bad a room poison mm-hmm. the practice. Yeah. Preach, Christine. Because it, it totally fucking can. And it yeah. does. Like, you know, we I've been in rooms where I just drank so much water. So I mean, <laughs> this is the first time I'm bringing up the bathroom. But like, just so I would have to every five, 45 minutes, like. Yeah. I got to pee. Oh, she she has to pee a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like when you are engulfed in flames, look for the helpers. Mm, As per Mr. Rogers, there's always those people in the room that even in, I've taken a friend from almost every room I've been in just because that person becomes your oasis. Continue to do the work, you know, like don't check out because that gives them a reason to be like, you checked out. Mm. So, and it it looks bad for you going forward because that follows you. For you going forward. So you have to keep showing up for that. And then I was going to say one more thing thing and it was um oh it was learn um even in a bad situation you're we're all kidding ourselves to think your whole career is going to be like sunny skies so look at how this situation is managed look at what's working what's not working and just take it as like a business management class Mm -hmm. of what not to do so that when you move forward you'll (laughs) Mm -hmm. be like oh that's that's what's going on there kind of thing and just try to figure out that dynamic because it's going to show up again. Mm-hmm. I want to believe that I'm never going to be in a hard room that's like toxic ever again. But if I do, I'll know how to surf, when to speak up, when to shut up, when like, so I think mm-hmm. there's always something to glean. Yeah. I think you all bring up two interesting things uh, in addition to all the other interesting things, <laughs> but two points I want to sort of dig in on. Um, one is uh, both of you mentioned that there is a community, right? And it's not just find the person in your room, but this is there are a lot of writers in this town and there yes. are writers who are in your situation and there are writers out there who are not in your situation or have been and found their way out. Like you can find this community. Um, have have you all had success in that? Have you found I mean, look, yeah. when I booked Chernold for the show, she was like, I know who you need to bring in. <laughs> <laughs> and you brought Vera with you. Um, so you've clearly found people. How do you find other writer friends? There are secret dinners. What? We what? meet at the marches. <laughs> <laughs> it does happen. It does, that stuff does happen. But it's true. But yeah, yeah, like I mean, it's funny because like I, I have a friend who she was like, okay, I want you to come to this. She's uh, more upper level than I am. I want you to come to this dinner. It's gonna be other up, upper level women there. She's like, I have another one I go to, but you're not black. You can't go to that. I was like, that's a fair, totally fair. <laughs> I think I know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, but that's that stuff that goes on. Like yeah. you got to help. You know, and like I'll send my assistant to certain like me and she, the assistance network, those kids are on it in a way. Like when I was an assistant, I felt kind of isolated. Mm -hmm. I didn't know a ton of other assistants right away. 
they are weaving a web of greatness with each other. The kids are like doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. yeah, there, I mean, there are, it's not like such a secret thing, but like people will tell each other like, hey, we're all meeting up at so-and-so's place or there's a yeah. speaker coming mm -hmm. in, whatever. And mm -hmm. You just go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there get, are these Get over events your shyness and that, go. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Get over the need to not leave your home, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I think we all have. Yeah. Um, and, and you two met on a show, right? Did you work together? We did. It was weird. You always tell it better than me. Okay. So basically. I love this one, Harry Met Sally part. <laughs> um, I went in for a job interview and Shern was on the other side in addition to um, the woman who created Degrassi. So this is like a Toronto story. And she, I felt like she was really advocating for me, like even to see this person in the job interview. And I could just tell that she was like, I was like, oh, I feel like she gets what I have to bring. And she really advocated for me being on the show. And then later on, she trans like a few years later, she transitioned into being a writer, the thing she's always wanted to do. And we she moved to the US and I moved to the US and we've just sort of she's been my life preserver in so many situations since moving here. And we just kind of like clung to each other yeah. and walked like Hollywood, Hollywood Boulevard, like <laughs> just being like crying, you know, and that's how we became friends. If you yeah. have that person, you can walk Hollywood Boulevard and cry with. Yeah. You yeah. Hold you'll on you'll to be them. okay. Yeah. So there is a secret Canadian society, right? <laughs> there right? totally, there totally right? is that. Yeah. Though. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel I'm oft I often get emails of like, this person's new from Canada. Yeah. Would you meet with them? And you're just like, yeah, yeah. sure. You know, I, Really try it like that's how the community forms where you're like, mm -hmm. you know, there were things that were really hard when I transitioned here. And I think that we both trying to just extend a hand and be like, yeah, don't do this or try this or. Yeah. But there's also I mean, as as sort of we've all mentioned, like there's genre people who hang. Oh, together, there's, a, and there's, there's a huge you know, genre help, helping genre comedy community. people yeah. and whatever it is. You, you mm -hmm. sort of find those people. Uh, and expand your there. community to be outside of TV people because yes. yes. otherwise yes. they'll be they'll be like <laughs> what. You'll tell them the situation and be like, that is crazy. Yeah. And sometimes you need yeah. that person just to be like, it doesn't have to be like this, yeah. you know? And I think that's also really important. Yeah. I will well, say, I've mentioned this before, marrying someone who is not in the industry was the best move. <laughs> the best move for my career oh, I ever made. Right. I'm going to say marrying someone who is in the industry was super helpful for me. Is that right? Yes. And, and I'm going to say this to TV writers who are listening, make a friend who's a feature writer. Oh, they're so hard to make friends with. <laughs> well, I married one, so yeah. <laughs> he's okay. He's super weird. He's, su he's super weird. <laughs> Isn't he weird? Too many hours alone so, at a computer. So many hours. I just leave him for like 12 hours and then I come back. He's like a cat. I check on him. <laughs> I put some, you know, snacks in the room and close the door and walk away. No, he's great. Um, but yeah, make friends with feature writers, especially, you know, women and people from, you know, if you're LGBTQ community, whatever your community is, friend a feature writer. Because they can get very isolated. That's true. They work at home, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, it, it's kind of same with comic book writers, although they have a team. It, you know, it's collaborative in that way. And theater people are always, like, in a big group. But, like, feature writers get isolated, make friends with them, make them feel better. And then when you write a feature, like, it just happened to me. Um, it happened to me. Um, <laughs> it's happening to me. I can at least reach out and be like, do you guys have, what's, what's this like? How late can I turn this in? You know, <laughs> that in TV, I would never ask, yeah. but you know, it features, it's different. So yeah. I think reaching out outside your medium is always helpful. For sure. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned is sort of the, the other half of writing, which is the actual writing, yes. the creative part. We've talked so much about the political part of being a room, mm -hmm. but the creative part, 
and and as you mentioned, Christine, like working on that novel, doing something to keep you sane. I imagine for all of you, the best case scenario in a room has been where your voice is heard and you feel like you are part of the DNA of the show. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear about those experiences where you feel like you were able to add something substantive mm-hmm. to a show. Right now, I think uh, the red line, mm-hmm. um, which again is on CBS. Who knew? Is but, it premiering in the fall? No, in January. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, I think the show has been blessed uh, since the beginning. It was created by two women, um, two white women, uh, Erica Weiss and Caitlin Parrish, from a play that they originated in Chicago. Um, and it's about a black doctor who gets shot uh, after a burglary because the cop uh, barrels in, assumes that he's the burglar, and shoots him in the back. And uh, then we go on a three-pronged storytelling journey with the family that the Black Doctor left behind, including his husband, played by Noah Wiley, uh, his daughter, uh, who's a young Black woman that they adopted. The next story, Prong, deals with the birth mother of that daughter as she gets into Chicago politics in uh, in the Sixth Ward, which is a partially crime-ridden Black neighborhood and how she wants to change her city at the municipal level first as an alder person. The third prong deals with that cop and uh, how ideally his journey from, from thinking that, no, no, I'm cool, I'm cool, to, oh, shit, I'm a racist. And this is what's happened. And this is why I've become this way. And this is now why I realize that I'm who I am and I need to change some shit. So that thing started, it wasn't even developed normally. It was a script that they sold Hmm. and then was immediately discarded. And for some reason, CBS went digging in the crates to like (laughs) like a DJ to figure out what, I don't know. Like they were just like, what should we play now? I said, Jeff, I've never done that before. So they pulled that thing out. And again, very little development. Pilot was shot. Pilot was incredible. Nobody thought the thing would get ordered. Ever. Especially for CBS. Especially for CBS. And then shockingly, it did. Um, So then they went out of their way to put together the room. Like they put their heads together and figured out who do we need. And then they went out of their way to meet many, 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 many different people. Um, That's huge. Can I pause you for a second? Because that's huge. Going out of your way to read a ton of scripts or make your assistant at least read 100 so you could read 20. But whatever that is. And meeting a fuck ton of people yes. not just hiring exactly the five people you know are exactly available. or huge. that your your agent and your reps want you to package huge you know they huge. were like no 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 so they met a shit ton of people um and they hired a few of us and they actually said the other day that not one of us was hired um before they checked in with the assistant to see how we treated her Oh my Whoa, God. That's incredible. Great. Amazing. <laughs> incredible. That's so, great. Tiffany, thank you very, very much. <laughs> Never um, punch down. Right? Because there's Never no reason. Never punch down. I mean, yeah. watch it's people quietly no how they treat reason. the assistant. The that's PA, exactly what they did. Other PAs from other shows that yeah. might come over. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, watch them. Exactly. So, now we've got this room. There's me, the loudmouth black woman. There's uh, the two white women who created the show. They are brand new. So, they mm. knew they were going to need a co showrunner. Uh, Sunil Nayar, who's a uh, brand dude, um, American, but you know, his family, his people are from India, uh, is the co-show runner. Oh my God. What an amazing dude. Holy shit. 
around the table, like, yeah, we've got our token white guy. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Brendan Kelly, shout out. So smart. Just so, you know, so dialed in. I want to use the word woke because, you know, I mean, my God, we've been awake for so long. It's getting stale. But Brendan <laughs> knows some shit. We're getting tired. Right? <laughs> um, we've got another man, uh, a mixed race black man from Chicago named Aaron. Older. I know he wouldn't mind me saying older staff writer. Mm, uh, we've got a woman named Fazia who is uh, Canadian, Pakistani, uh, lived in Chicago for a long time. She is not, also not 26 years old mm. or however old uh, staff writers right. are. So they came with a certain level of mm -hmm. confidence mm. and they came with some outside experience um, that has helped them in the room. And they've taken over things that like we don't even think about doing. Yeah. We've got Sue Chung. Korean American woman. Uh, she's just a bubbly, bubbly presence. Uh, we've got a gay white dude as our as our writer's assistant. We've got a brown dude as our PA. Uh, we've got a black woman as the um, showrunner's assistant. We've got another woman. She's ambiguously brown, maybe, um, as Sunil's <laughs> assistant. She's super smart. I don't care. But the thing is, this is who we are. Yeah. And they handpicked us. And Still, you know, we don't have we don't have a Latinx person mm -hmm. on staff. Vera always laughs at me because I always throw in my faux Hispanic <laughs> accent. When, uh, I like that. <laughs> Can you say that again, please? Latinx. Yeah. Um, so we're aware of that. So we went out of our way to create a character and not just some tacked on character either. Uh, Erica stopped us the other day and she said, you know what? We don't have a trans character. Let's think of one or two or three and how we can tie them into the story so that they don't get cut out. Hmm. So that shit doesn't end up on the cutting room floor. Blows my mind. Nobody has ever said that before. Yeah. Nobody has even thought that before. You know who's the asshole in the room? Me. <laughs> I was the first one to say something inappropriate. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. And then I had to go and apologize. You know, and I was like casual, cool, like, what? I'm a black woman. I, I might be bi-curious. You know, I got a limp now. My knee's hurting me. I feel so many. I check out so many boxes. I don't have to worry about nothing. No, I was the asshole. I know. I am the most inappropriate person in every right. room I'm in. I'm filthy. I'm right. like, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. So <laughs> at certain points, it's not going to be okay anymore. But yeah. like, I don't think it just comes out. Exactly. It's like, oh, no, we're feeling comfortable. So I just made a... 15 dick jokes. No, that's yeah. cool, right? Okay, <laughs> fine, fine. Exactly. That's fine. Okay. And, you know, we have the we have the support of Warner Brothers. We have the support of, of Berlanti, who is our exec producer. Mm. We ha I know, it's like his non first non-superhero, yeah. except that everybody yeah. in the show is a superhero. Yeah. See what I did there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we have the support of, of Ms. Duvernay. Mm -hmm. So, wow. you know, there's a lot of power behind it there's a lot of consideration within the thing and we talk about everything it's just like what can we say what do we want to say yeah. with this one shot that we have in mm -hmm. the cbs event series if we only have one shot let's talk about that let's talk about them yeah. let's talk mm -hmm. about her let's talk about him it's we have a board of social justice yeah we have a board yeah. oh crazy like, what do we want to combat? What do we want to embrace? But this is a captive audience of old white folks. And yeah. we're going to spring it on them. Right. And there's going to be so many. And if we can just get them caring and just show them something that's slightly different. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're not interested in demonizing. You know, oddly, the cop character is my favorite character in the show. You mm -hmm. wouldn't think so. But again, I'm the asshole. 
Um, but it feels like you also have to work extra hard at that character. Yes, because if you demonize that character, then you're going to alienate so many people. Well, it'll be an easy thing to do. Yeah, like that's Mm -hmm. not the complicated character you all clearly want to write. Yeah, and Um, you know there's there are forces at work. So we're just gonna we're gonna try and talk about all of that and hope that we can you know sneak it in. You know, and it'll just seep into their brain while they pause the DVR and they're off peeing or or whatever. Right. And um, so that is the best experience That's to me, the best case study yeah. I think I've seen. And then Anne, to some extent, um, we're a Wally Bucket. You know, Anne is, uh, you know, set in 1890s Canada, Prince Edward Island. But Moira was very aware that her show was white. Mm-hmm. And it's the first thing she said to me um, during our meeting after the the introductions and her telling me that I'm brilliant um, because I need to make sure. It's a good way to start. Right? (laughs) I need to make sure that I'm not being brought on once again to be the black girl. Right. Because I've already had that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then of course I was already researching uh, Prince Edward Island in in Eastern, Hmm. Western, I can't even remember anymore. Eastern Eastern Canada. Yeah. (laughs) I was already researching it for another thing that I'm working on about uh, civil rights um, activist in Canada who predates Rosa Parks that many, many people haven't heard of, but she, um, anyway, you can, you can look at her. Her name is Viola <laughs> Desmond. She's very, 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 um, incredible, but I had been doing research. So I just, I just realized, oh my God, there have been black people in Prince Edward, Prince Edward Island since 1751. Yes. And they had a community at the base of Charlottetown hmm. and it was called the bog because they were forced to build their community on a cesspool. Oof. Wow. And so, and she was like, really? Let's do it. Wow, awesome. And we did it because she was ready to do something. She wasn't like, oh, let's just have a guest character. She's like, he's going to be in every episode. And he was in every episode. But it wasn't like a token thing. This is the thing. This is why you want to have a diverse room. You opened a trailhead for story based on your experience. Mm. And it's, I mean, it's what we're all kind of saying. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, well... When I grew up in Brooklyn, it was like this. Okay, that hopefully that opens a trailhead to a story, you know? And that's yeah. what you did. You're like, there's a whole community that we, you eat through so much story so fast. If you if you can bring your diversity in and say, hey, guess what? This is like, we, we're going to get like five episodes out of this shit. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's value. And then mm-hmm. you're not the, the only woman in the room or the only black person in the room. You're bringing that story to yeah. that room. And to be clear, and I'm going to stop talking. To be clear, I wasn't the only one pitching. <sighs> For that black character. That black character was in everybody's episode. And everybody was like, oh, you know, it would be cool. This. And we should do this. And, oh, he's got a mother. You know, let's talk about his relationship with that. He's somebody who's come from another country. As any immigrant, immigrants, we get the job done. Um, And these are his experiences as an immigrant. This is his experience as a brown person coming into an all-white community. Yes, we love Anne of Green Gables. We love Marilla. We love Matthew. But you know what? They're regular people. And if they hadn't been exposed to any people of color, they're going to react a certain kind of way. But then because they are the beloved characters that we know them to be, they're going to fix their shit. And we get back to fix your shit. So anyway, it works. And to me, like you bring up a good point because you were asking like, what can writers, if, if you're a white male or if you're in the majority in a room, what can you do? And I can really say that the, the thing you have to do is check your own bias, fight for someone else's idea. Um, and I was, I, my, my life in a room really changed when the 
if it was a majority male room, if there was a guy who championed my idea, unfortunately, was the only way that I was able mm. to get things in. And mm. but then like slowly there was a sea change of like, well, if one person, if you're a party of two advocating for a joke, an idea. And I have to shout out to those people in those rooms because mm -hmm. it was like, that's what if you are a, ma a white male in a room, a, a majority male in a room, just advocate for. Join, like um, help someone else's idea. That is like one of the biggest thing you can do. Check your own bias. It's really hard because I think people like to be like, oh, my sometimes there's a culture of my joke is the funniest. It's like you got to check that and be like, help that other person's idea, because that is what changes the culture in a room. It's mm -hmm. like kind of it seems very basic, but you would be amazed because we're all in your own thing. You're spinning creatively. You're not being like you just have to kind of look elsewhere and really help that other person up. It can change your show. It'll change the dynamic. You'll have much more people participating. That would be like my tidbit. Yeah. And you can change a life. I'm sorry. You can. Yeah, go ahead. But you can change totally. yes, you a can. life. You can either, I don't want to, you can make or break a career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my jokes never got in, but I left with friends. And then those people hired me later yeah, when they had right. their own Absolutely. show. But without those people in that room, I I was almost like, I I don't belong in these comedy rooms. Like I am pitching and pitching and pitching, but it's mm -hmm. only when someone's like, oh, I like her idea. I was like, oh, slowly. It was like edging slowly in. It's kind of interesting. And also believe in different kinds of comedy and intelligences. That's the other yeah. thing. It's mm -hmm. like, Yes, I may never be the loudest person in a room, but we have to like shift our lens to be like, look for the quietly funny person. Look for the person who's like writing down their joke, pitching mm -hmm. it that way. I'm yeah. never going to be the stand up comic in a room, but I will make you laugh when you read and your audience will laugh. But it's like right. I just wish some of those different kinds of intelligences were like valued. Yeah, I mean, a comedy room is a notoriously difficult animal and you've worked it looks like in all different kinds of comedy rooms mm -hmm. too but did you have that experience with these sort of old-fashioned highly competitive yeah comedy did. Room? yeah and i was not prepared yeah you know because i'd only worked in comedy in canada i came here my scripts were good enough to get me in these rooms but there is a culture in those rooms especially at that time that i was not prepared for and you have to have a certain I felt like you had to have a certain personality to be heard. You have to be, it's like loudest person wins. And I was never going to win that as much as I could try. Yeah. And, but luckily I do think the culture has changed. I'd like to believe that that room now would kind of not be the same, but many of those like network comedies, it was, it was a culture that I was like astounded by and couldn't figure out and, but did keep trying, you know, and then I, and like found myself on other comedies where it's like, oh, my voice was valued. I didn't have to like elbow to be heard. Um, I I had I felt like I had an inherent value to the room. And that really changed my life because I was like, oh, I belong here. Oh, they want me. Oh, my ideas are valued, even if they're not always used. So th that's mm -hmm. it's it's been a real wild ride. <laughs> and sure has been witness to it all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we do need to wrap up. I will. Uh... And as we always do by asking guys what you are watching on television these days, what's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your room that you're in, with your friends, with your loved ones? Sure, and you are ready to go. <laughs> I know. You told me. You wrote it, wrote it down. My father texted it to me because I have a short memory. I'm going to start with something that wasn't on the list, which was the terror. Great, right? Oh, my gosh. The terror was so good. It was one of those things I thought I wouldn't give a shit about because it was like all white dudes. 
And they were hard to tell apart, too. Right? You couldn't tell them apart. <laughs> they really were. I could were. not tell them apart. And I was like, I'm not going to give a shit about this. There's a monster. Let me show, show me the monster. <laughs> and then it turned into this epic, just human against nature, yeah. human against beast, man, literally man against man. Like, what kind of what kind of human are you? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. how are you treating people? How are you? What is, what's your legacy? Yeah. What are you leaving behind? was an indigenous woman in there. Yes. and I don't think she was offensive I'm not sure she didn't offend I wondered me. that too we watching I just it. wonder yeah there's I don't it's, know it's tropey yes right? it is tropey but, but she's also she's really cool yeah ish I don't know so indigenous people let me let know let us know yeah, let me find know. us on Twitter um <laughs> and also I want to talk about Wyatt Cenac mm-hmm. Wyatt Cenac's problem areas he did a whole season on policing and yeah. gun violence and made it funny yeah. And yeah. not in the way, you know, you guys will, we didn't get to talk about Hannah Gadsby, but not in the funny way that Hannah Gadsby describes, which is like doing a disservice to the issue. Funny and just like, oh shit. And not depressing funny, like uh, like John Oliver sometimes is, or Samantha oh B sometimes is, because I can't watch that shit anymore. <laughs> mm. It's sad. Mm. I don't want to laugh at yeah. that. Um, so, and then of course, Insecure. Because oh, yeah. black women, <laughs> so yeah. right? And there's a lot more, but I think those are three. That's a cross section. Those are yeah. And if people haven't seen, all worth checking out yeah. and all available. Um, Vera, what are you watching? Um, like besides every like murder documentary, like every LA <laughs> oh woman, God, any real. um, <laughs> any kind of murder, I'm uh. uh a not, yeah, I'm always into those Netflix murder documentaries. Um, I was making my way through The Sopranos, which I had never watched the first time around, and that's been a delight. Insecure always. And I moved on to Orange before BoJack season five, so mm-hmm. I'm watching that, and it's like it's a fascinating thing to be on a show and then with fondness be like, oh, this is where they took <laughs> everyone. It's like that's been just a, a joy and a delight cool. for me. That's great. And Christine, what are you watching? I don't even know how to answer this. Um, I still watch John Oliver every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it's like the one thing that's yeah. left. I even had to take a break from my beloved Rachel Maddow for like a couple of days because I'm like watching her cry on the air was like really hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, lately, things have been fraught. Eric and I watch, Eric's my husband, we watch uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine every night. Mm-hmm. We watch two to four episodes of Brooklyn <laughs> yep. Nine-Nine every night like an aperitif. Yeah. <laughs> it goes down easy, it, right? It puts it's us calming. down. It's the way you put a child yeah. down to sleep. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny and kind and sweet. And there's enough New York stuff that's real mm. in there that makes me laugh. And I think the cast is great. Um, yeah. So we're, we're on season two. Don't tell me anything. <laughs> Don't tell me anything. Uh, what else? Westworld, obviously... I have friends who work there. It's uh, It was an incredibly wild ride this year. That's all I'm going to say. Um, and all the murder shows. Like, I, like I'll watch Forensic Files, like, episodes of Forensic Files. What is Files. with women in murder? Dude. This is like, what I want to know. Eric calls it my, like, hotel TV. Like, if I'm <laughs> on location for a show, like, I'll just put whatever that channel is. That's ID, got forensic files. Yes, like, ID. Like, <laughs> I'll just run like six episodes of forensic files in yeah. the background, like while I'm getting my binder ready for tomorrow, while I'm putting my script pages in, while I'm yeah. like laying my outfit out. I will leave the murder channel on because they <laughs> yeah. get, I think they get solved and they get solved through science and there's a mm-hmm. sense of closure. Right, that's comforting. <laughs> that real life doesn't really have, you know. Um, and I'm going to shout out to Star Trek Discovery because oh. Disco Is Baby. Are you watching it too? Disco Baby. I've never seen it. You that, know? that Groundhog Day episode? Come on. 
I watched it again. I, I love there were several episodes I watched twice, like in the same week, and I was yeah. just like, I I I loved it. Yeah. I hope it's still great. Black girl at the center. Black oh my girl God, at the center. And I love her. No, she's I think great. She's, she's amazing. She's stunning. Her she's, big eyes. She's so she's beautiful like, and she's so fierce and she's so um I love actors who are at home. Yeah. In their bodies. Yes. Not all actors are. Yeah. I love acting. I'm a student of acting. I love working with actors. When you see somebody who is not just lighting up the screen, but is physically drawing you in, it's mm -hmm. almost like they're drawing the cinematography mm -hmm. into their body in a mm -hmm. way. I don't know how to describe it, but mm -hmm. um, she's one of those people who's just so grounded and yeah. stunning. Yeah. Star Trek Discovery. Great. 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 Oh. And I have to mention, I have to mention before we go, Steven Universe. Uh -huh. Steven mm -hmm. Universe. Everybody look up Steven Universe. Yeah, people love that. Cartoon of the cartoon of the ages. So much more than that. And Pose. Both actually related in their in their subject matter. Pose is and good. And their, their treatment of, of queerness and love and people of color and non gender, non binary situations and uh all right. Nice. And I like I like drawing Pose that parallel. It's really Pose beautiful. Is a beautiful, pretty beautiful show to look beautiful. at. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you all for being here. I feel like we have only scratched the surface. Will you all come back and talk to us again, please? Thank you for yes, having us. Yes, thank you for the invite. Thank you for listening to the Writers Panel. Tune in next Tuesday and every Tuesday for a brand new episode. And in the meantime, please subscribe and review the Writers Panel on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. And follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, just like it sounds. And let me know who you want to have on the show. The Writers Panel is a co-production of the Forever Dog Podcast Network and the ATX Television Festival. You can listen to more Forever Dog podcasts at foreverdogpodcast.com and keep up with the ATX Fest throughout the year at atxfestival.com. Thank you, and see you next week. Well, you'll hear me next week. Thanks for subscribing. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.